Hi, I'm Meredith. I'm Kristen, and we'd like to welcome you to the writer's story. We have had a little spate of cold weather, which you mostly missed in Florida, that's, Kristen. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I heard that it was even colder in um, Duluth, Minnesota, where I've been spending a good bit of time living with my dad. I, and, uh... I think it was. There were pictures of people with like frosty mustaches and <laughs> yeah 20 below and so on but here even in charlottesville goodness we got home and it was what 16 degrees at night i think it was 12 degrees when middle of the night when i got up to do something for the dog and so yeah it has felt like full-on winter we even had snow oh because last year yeah, we had zero <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so, so it has been um a time to cozy up time to cozy up with soup and tea and books of reading and books to write yes so where are you in yours meredith well i have had a little several month odyssey i guess i started in october of going back to a thriller i had worked on over a year before and had sort of had a had a brilliant idea at around 67,000 words and then but couldn't figure out how to fit it into what I'd already written. And so mm -hmm. I went back and really just revised the entire thing. And so now I have just finished a draft of it. I do have a few scenes that are kind of hanging out and they need a little more and the whole thing needs to be made, you know, consistent and make sure everything's working. But I'm um, ready to put it aside and take a little break from it before I dive into the next draft. So that's where I am. I'm thinking a little bit about what other projects maybe I want to try this on, you know, taking them and ripping them apart again and, and um, trying to get, trying to make them better. Yeah. Hey, do you ever do something, I've heard others rewrite, like starting from a blank page so you have a novel you've worked on maybe you've even got a full draft and then rewriting it literally like the the me mechanical exercise of writing not that they put aside the other and don't look at it but having it next to them and rewriting and editing as they go have you ever done that i did that a little bit in this past edit partially because I was changing the tense. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then also partially because I was changing the thrust of scenes. So the scene was still going to happen, but it needed to do something different. And so mm -hmm. I used the split screen function in Scrivener. Yeah. So I have the old scene up and sometimes retype, but type with a different thing. And sometimes I copy paste and then edit. So it just appended, but it, there is something about retyping something where you add, you allow yourself to keep adding. Yeah. I've never done that. Retyping is the best way of describing it. Tons of rewriting, of course, tons of cutting and creating new scenes or new paragraphs or new material and yeah, deleting all, anyway, I course I've done tons of that but never that um kind of mechanical exercise of retyping and I'm not sure how that would work for me but yeah I don't know I think everything's worth trying 
I've tried lots of different techniques. Um, I think anything that can get your brain out of the track of thinking that most of what you have is perfect (laughs) and Uh seeing it in a whole different way is really helpful when you're revising. So I, even though I hate wasting paper, I, I, I reuse paper when I do this, but I, I have to sometimes print out pages and just sit down and mark them up because it uses yeah. a different part of my brain than I yeah. when I read it yeah. on the screen. And I think it's really easy to see things as something as, as finished. I've also made it into an ebook and put it on, on, on the iPad and read it on the iPad like I read another book. And that mm-hmm. has cha- sort of changes the way I'm experiencing it. Tell me about where you are with your writing. Well, I um, have finished four novels in the Babylon Persia historical fiction, ancient historical fiction series that I began low these 24, no, 14, 14. (laughs) What's a decade? Years ago. Four score. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Time. Oh man. So yeah, this is the project that I started 2010-ish, picked up, put down, picked up, put down, picked up, put down. I have tended to throw stuff out very quickly and going back and looking at some of earlier versions because I'd lost track of what the most recent iterations of some of these novels were when I decided I have to get these things off the desk and out into the world because they represent not just a lot of work, which is fine, and that can still result in a product that you don't want to and doesn't need to be out in the world, and I recognize that. But but these these have some legs, and it'd be good to get them out. Yeah, so I have finally gotten them into the shape, a shape, that I will push out into the world <laughs> one way or another. To be continued. <laughs> to be continued. And what I've been doing very most recently, my husband who doesn't read, he's gotten more into reading um, in the last year or two um, of novels and so on actually read all four of these in December, which was really wonderful. And um, he was so complimentary of them, which was also really nice to hear. I went through the edits that he had suggested, which were mostly kind of typographical stuff, which was great, with a couple of places where he'd said, you know, I think the sentence you kind of lost me here or something like that. So anyway, that was really good. It gave me a sense of finishing to do that, to go through his suggestions. And then now what I'm trying to do, and this I'm really struggling with, is um, the what I'm calling an author's note. So when I first wrote these, I included footnotes and endnotes, mostly for my own self, to remember why I said what I did. And because I'd done so, so much research, I didn't, even those are not exhaustive, but I've looked back at some of those and thought, man, it'd be great to include like all this material, to have it available to people if they wanted it. But they're so idiosyncratic. The way that I noted things is very idiosyncratic. And also, yeah, that's the mainly, mainly, and not exhaustive. So if I were to really do justice to them, I would have to do a ton more work just to get the footnotes in a form that's acceptable. Mm, That's super interesting. We're going to talk 
tonight with someone who is a historic fiction writer. And it'd be interesting to talk to him about research and what you kind of do with all the research that informs a historic novel. And um, and I'm super excited to welcome our guest today. Yes, yes. Um, I've known Steve Weddle for a number of years. He is a crime writer um, in the Charlottesville area. And he's the author of The County Line, which is an Amazon first read selection. Um, his previous book, Country Hardball, uh, the New York Times called it downright dazzling. And it was a collection of connected short stories. And he's a former newspaper editor, the co-founder of the crime fiction collective Do Some Damage, the co-creator of the noir magazine Needle, um, and he's taught short story writing, um, and he lives in Virginia with his family. And I'm gonna, I'm super excited to hear what he has to say about showing your research. <laughs> I am too. Yeah, mine's all going to get folded into author's notes, is what I've decided. But I am very excited to talk to him about his work. Let's call him up. Hi, Steve. How are you? Hi. Fine, thanks. How are you? We're great. We're great. We're super excited to talk to you. Now, what date did your book come out? It officially publishes February the 1st. Wait, it it's was not an, even out? It, it was an Amazon first reads, so it has been available to lots of people for the month of January. Oh, that's awesome. So as an Amazon first reads, is does it appear in hard copy as well as digitally, or is this a digital? On February, it will be available in paperback and Kindle and audio. Right now, it is available Thanks. in Kindle only. So, oh. wow. so who did the audio? Uh, well, uh, Brian Troxell, who is, um, I don't know if you know the uh, Disney uh, program or the Marvel program, Hawkeye. The TV show mm, he was that in that. He, he was Gary in that. I think he was in the uh, Karate Kid TV show. Ooh. He's been in just tons of stuff, and he did a fantastic, fantastic job. I don't know how you do because the the book's got somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, fifteen thousand characters, and I have no idea how he keeps all those different voices in his head. I have a hard enough time keeping it in my head, and I don't have to know what wait, they sound like. You know? Wait just a minute. Okay, I have to stop you there. Your book has 15,000 characters? Well, He's give or take 14,550. Yeah, so. <laughs> it has okay. quite a few. It has but quite it a has few. a lot. Okay. Yes. I'm so I'm I'm sorry, Steve. Total literalist, gullible as can be. <laughs> I really thought you had fourteen thousand characters. God, I hope not. No, there are a lot though. There, there people. You know, it's like good grief. There's too many people. But you know, it's like the it's like the, the Mozart movie Amadeus, where it's like yes. too many notes. Cut some notes. No, 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 I don't. I don't know what notes to cut. So they all stay. Have they all there. stay. <laughs> That's great. Well, congratulations, and we definitely want to talk to you about what it's like being an Amazon author, like the you know what you sure. what you've discovered. But first, I just want to step back and talk to you a little bit about your writing journey. And I, it wasn't until I read your Wikipedia that I knew that your um, that your your master's was in poetry. Yeah, I, uh, I went to LSU and got an MFA in poetry. I uh, studied with Dave Smith, um, uh, famous in ye old Norton anthology of poetry uh, mm. that the college kids read and read. Uh, do they still read that, the Norton anthology of poetry? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. It's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> um, and uh, Andre Kudreski was there. Um, oh. had, had a lot of good folks there. And so I got to stay with a lot of folks there at LSU and the MFA program and poetry. And um, that was after I got my master's in English up in Kansas, at, uh, in uh, Pittsburgh, Kansas, of all places. The only, <laughs> the only school I know that has the mascot of a gorilla. So we were all very excited about that. Gus the gorilla. So, uh, yeah. And so the MFA and poetry, which had come in, came in very handy uh, because I ended up after I taught for a few years, adjuncting um, writing uh, for newspapers. And so that, that got me writing a lot of crime stories, court stories, sports and politics too, which I guess are, are different versions of crimes. Some bigger, some smaller, I suppose. Um, and so, yeah. And so, so, Go ahead. Sorry. So the poetry helped in that I was writing about a lot of details, uh, keeping uh, tight sentences, keeping things moving and things like that. So I always, if I'm talking about what helped and uh, that sort of thing, poetry always seemed to help. And it's, I think there's a lot of poetry in news writing, uh, particularly in, in rhythms. I tend to write a lot in uh, the, the rhythm of a sentence. So I think that that ties a lot in with uh, journalism or whatever it was I was practicing at the community newspaper level. So, you know, while I was doing that, I was uh, uh, kind of running up into a lot of uh, court cases, multi-jurisdictional grand juries and drug cases and things. And a lot of that found its way into a, uh, 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 I, I guess, kind of a traditional amateur sleuth mystery novel that um, I used, uh, went out on query with, uh, submission with. I uh, ended up with an agent, spent a couple of years trying to get that one sold, couldn't get it sold. And... Uh, Meredith knows this route very well when you get um, a, a number of people asking you for short stories for mystery anthologies. And so I kept getting those and I said, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to get people kind enough to request stories, I should start thinking about kind of doing some things uh, in the same universe. Um, and so that's what I did. I started building, uh, building out that universe. And that's what became uh, Country Hardball. And that was published in 2013. And I will pause here to take a breath and <laughs> let you guys get a word in edgewise. Sorry, I was blathering on. No, no, I was oh, I actually, I was just thinking a little bit about um, another uh, mystery author, Reed Farrell Coleman, who also started sure. as a poet. And um, and I remember reading his first book. And when I found out about the poetry, I was like, oh, that that makes sense because tracks, it, yeah. it reads, it, it reads, you're right, the rhythms and the, the, the love of words. Yeah, well, well, you know, it's uh, a lot of times. Uh, Chris, you're, you're an academic, I suppose, in the in the nice sense of the word, not the pejorative sense of the word. <laughs> and so, so, so you know, when you're writing, you know, poetry or these sorts of things, sometimes you have a um, a space, and you know, you don't know the word that goes there, but you know, it goes boom, you know, yeah. or you know, it goes ba dum ba dum, you know. So maybe an I or and so in that sort of thing, um, I, and I know, you know, Chris, from your uh, religious studies, you are familiar with texts that work with rhythm and things like that. So That's right. uh, that, yeah. that was really key to me. Um, so I, I wrote a lot with rhythm and so that helps. So yeah, the Reed Farrell Coleman thing, that's so nice. I appreciate the uh, uh, comparison there with Reed. Reed's one of my well, favorites. He's you great. Can be, you can be on the poets turned crime writers panel. If I were, okay. yeah. if I were putting something together at BoucherCon, I'd, I'd, I'd stick you guys together. You, yeah. had a, you had a question, Kristen? <laughs> well, you answered it, Steve. But it's so interesting. I mean, sort of like going from poetry to crime writing, these, this does not sound like a natural linear progression to me. Neither does poetry into journalism. But 
I do have such high regard for poets, and I think that sensitivity to tone, to rhythm, mm -hmm. to yeah. the sound of the words, as well as, of course, the rich possibilities of meaning that we have within a broad English vocabulary, um, makes for, it well, enriches any kind of writing, I would think. Right. But the concision, I can kind of also see the concision with um, journalism because you are writing deadline, you've got whatever, 15 inches or however much they give you in a column. And so you have to be really um, thoughtful about exactly what word you're going to use because you only get but so many. <laughs> sure. And, and you know, you've got the you've got the beginning where you really have to pull people in and give them a lot of information. And then you have to kind of wrap it up at the end to leave them kind of satisfied. I mean so right. so there are a lot of a lot of things that I, I found sort of lined up, at least in my, you know, small brain way of thinking about things, seemed to make sense to me. So it, I, it was, it was some, I, it's also one way for me to say, well, I didn't waste my money on that MFA. <laughs> so that, there could be a lot Wildly of that useful. too. Oh, there, right. there, there we go. There we go. Yeah. And so after you did the short stories, what was next mm -hmm. for you? Did you then say, I'm going to tackle a, I'm going to become a real novelist. <laughs> I was, we well, always team Art Taylor. About the, um, <laughs> yeah. The, you know, after uh, Country Hardball came out in 2013, um, there was some, uh, requests for other short stories and things like that. And I had, I, I had decided that I was going to work on a, on a novel, bringing some of those stories together, kind of continuing the sort of thing. And my dumb idea, and I, I, I mentioned this a couple of times was, you know, David Mitchell's cloud Atlas, where mm -hmm. it kind of goes back in time and then it hits a point and then it comes back and forward in time. So the country hardball takes place in 2013 ish, you know, present, present day as I was writing it. And I thought, well, there's some stuff that I need background that happened in 1950. Cause I want to go back and tell how these people got here. And then to tell that I kind of want to talk about 1930 and then I want to come back to 1950 and then bring it back to the present. And as I was working on this, and this has probably never happened to y'all, but it happened to me. I, I realized that I wasn't good enough to do that. <laughs> you know, I was like, it's a great idea. I can't do that. Right. Um, and so that's where I was. But what I ended up with was, uh, uh, I think 2014, right after Country Harbor, maybe 2014 or so, uh, Playboy magazine came asking for a story. And I had kind of the 1950s sort of part of that in my head. And so I think on Monday or Tuesday, um, there was a request for the store and they said, uh, you know, can you get us a story? And I said, I got, absolutely. I got this, I got the story here, which would be perfect. And you know, there's how about by the end of the week, I said, absolutely. So then I started writing it. Right. So <laughs> I wrote, I wrote like, cause you don't say no, you know, absolutely. Whatever you want, I can do. So I wrote like a madman for a few days and uh, sent that in and uh, that ran in 2015. And so that was kind of the 1950s. And so what I was left with was the 1930s part of the story. And so the new book, The County Line, is the, the 1930s of Country Hardball. So almost 100 years before. Same families, same setting, kind of how we got there. And I just had a lot of fun. I just, I found the 1930s to be fascinating. Oh, that sounds really fun. Yeah. So do you bounce back and forth in time now or not in any of them? No. No, in okay. uh, no in the county line, it's all 1930s. I, I'm gotcha. not good enough for that. So maybe someday <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get better and, I, you know, and I can pull that off. But right now I'm, I can't do that. 
I doubt that it's a function of being good enough. It sounds like it's, you have it's plenty tough. good I've enough. Tried. It's really it's, hard. It is hard. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have played around with a novel that I have set um, partly in a far future, far distant future, and today. So it's speculative oh. fiction. And then coming back to, yeah, yeah, sure. And it's been really, 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 really hard. Part of it yeah. was trying to no, imagine. It's... More of a yeah, yeah, and trying try to get those transitions. I mean, I could, I could do it poorly, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I can't do it well. So I guess I can't do it, just not, there, just not there, well. And then there's there's the time travel element. That's a whole nother oh, sure. piece there's, of um, Yeah, there's this whole issue, I think, and I, I, I know this from teaching fiction, and, and I know that you've also taught Steve and obviously mm-hmm. Kristen, where your skills as a reader are so much higher than your skills as a writer and so that you know that what you're writing is crap because you're just starting right. off and that's just so frustrating because right. you're you're such a discerning reader you know most writers have read a lot and that's why they want to write you know they love reading yeah. well i don't know if you've read george saunders of swim in the lake and the pond thing the, from the russians the one that he he, he dives into the uh, uh, russian writers and kind of breaks them apart so he teaches up at the mfa program in syracuse i think and so he does a really really deep reading um of uh well Chekhov in particular a couple of, and it was one of my favorites and when as he breaks them down just kind of line by line sort of thing you know you're going through there and i'm so appreciative to see what he can get out of that but at the same time the other half or three-fourths of my brain is sitting there going oh my god i can't do this (laughs) (laughs) you know i'll never be able to write like this i don't want to read good writing you know i want to to create some bad writing yeah i want to read some of this bad writing and say oh i can i can do better than that so um, that's really really tough being faced with the bad writing so but like you said meredith you know as, as readers you know, sometimes we're much better readers than we are writers. We can, or at least we, you know, uh, as uh, what Robert Browning said, a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for, mm. right? I mean, we can see it, you know, it's like, yeah, we yeah. just got to keep striving for that. It's yeah. a good, I think it's a good quality. Yeah, and I also think you have to think about whether you are a 10 years per book writer mm, yeah. or, you know, or one or two year per book writer or whatever because I think that you could do it it would just take a long time to make it really really good and yeah I, I yeah I, I don't think cloud so atlas I don't think cloud atlas was tossed off in six months I'm just I'm, I'm just probably guessing. not yeah I'm just guessing, just guessing. <laughs> but you know I mean I also think it's so important to figure out what you're good at and kind of go hard that direction if you sure. if you want to make it in the business and you want to have more book deals i mean well if you want to, if you want people to read you right yeah. if it takes you a little longer that's fine yeah but you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a big question i've played a lot with a genre in the last 10 years and it has been fun to write things that are out of your comfort zone or you really have to learn a lot to write them but you end up with something that's probably not that good because you're really it's just your first effort (laughs) and you realize oh well you've been doing x for a certain number of years so you get much more comfortable but yeah you want to push yourself too otherwise what's the point exactly yeah i've had a lot of fun bouncing around in different genres (laughs) Well, badly did, did you want to ask him your your um well yeah all sorts questions? of stuff so the historical fiction stuff I like so I am um wrapping up some historical fiction that I had started some many years ago and I've kind of dropped and come back to and dropped and come back to 
for all sorts of different kinds of reasons. But I sort of came at it backward because I'd intended a nonfiction book out of my academic area for general readers. Anyway, I I didn't so much have a story that then has kind of historical uh, context overlay or texture and so on and so forth, but instead putting together things that I was learning in my research resulted in fiction. So sure. all of, I am now um, at the end of this project trying to um, think about how to communicate some of the research that has dictated the decisions that I made with this narrative. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's just kind of an unusual historical fiction project in a way because of backing into it like this. But I have, I've kind of landed on the author's note as the place where I can write some of that stuff and say, you know, here's why some of this and here's some of the background of that. So how are you handling the research piece for, for readers? Like that question of what, what do you want to tell about the research that you learned in the course of writing the story, the fiction? Well, I spent a lot of time researching uh, through uh, magazines and articles and books for settings and details and things like that. And there were... There were big historical events. This, the book takes place, the, the county line takes place in the, about the, in the summer of 1933. So FDR was just coming into office. Uh, gangsters, uh, you know, there was, there were, there was a big list of the FBI's you know, top uh, uh, most wanted. And then a year or two later, they were all dead or in prison, right? So there was, it, was a, it was a fascinating time. Um, and so I didn't want to have a lot of... Um, uh, big names kind of in the book as characters, but they ha- they bump up against the book in terms of somebody mentions this sort of yeah. thing. And so um, this was also a time um, in American history where they were moving um, away from kind of bank heists and towards more kidnappings. Um, oh. And so so that that take t- plays a big part. So there's some discussions about some bank robberies and some some actual bank robbers are mentioned about how things went bad and then there are some kidnappings that are mentioned some people actually got kidnapped i mean 1933 the summer of 1933 there was just you know one the ham the the beer folks up in minnesota uh you're from up around there right yeah yeah yep. so um one of the uh uh kids from there got kidnapped and held for ransom all these sorts of things were going on so you they would kidnap the rich folks and hold them for ransom as opposed to robbing the rich folks in the banks. So it was an interesting, a really interesting time as a thing. So these sorts of things started bumping up against uh, the, uh, the book, but I didn't want it to weigh it down. So yeah. I have, I, I might read um, a recipe book um, and order one off of the, the, you know, the, the best and worst thing for me is eBay because I'll see a reference in, in a footnote to some article and it will, you know, reference a book that was written in 1914, you know, and there'll be like three copies available on eBay. And I can't, I can't move forward in telling my story until I own that 1914 book in my hands and can read it in its entirety, which may be why it takes me 78 years to write a book. Um, but I find it fascinating. And then I read the whole thing and it, I, you know, I'm just so fascinated by it. But the part that I end up using is like the type of sandwich that they might have wrapped up in wax paper, you know? And so yeah. I was like, well, but I enjoy reading the book. It's like that the Frank O'Hara poem, Oranges, when he goes and he's talking about the whole thing. And then by the end of it, the, uh, the oranges are gone, but he still calls it oranges. So, it, you know, all the stuff that you use kind of gets absorbed 
And yeah. what comes out in the story is just this little part. But I always think that, you know, the next book, I can use some of that stuff. Or the next book after that, I can use some of that stuff. So um, I, hope, I hope so. But it's so I don't know if that answered your question at all. So you don't do any I, footnotes I sort of, in your. No footnotes. No. Um, no, although, no. No, I'm not writing, um, you know, like, you, like Christy, your book, uh, the most peculiar book. Uh, the one about the Bible, you know, was of course super heavy nonfiction y sort of stuff. But all of the information, you know, it felt like a book that didn't need footnotes because all the information was what the book was about. But if you're writing fiction, like I was doing, or like you're talking about doing with this one, yeah, it's a, it's just an added sort of thing. I'm working on another book now about. Um, uh, some things that go on and I am relying heavily on coincidences that happen in history to tie this sort of mystery together. I'm finding that much more difficult because again, how do you convince your reader that no, 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 this thing really happened, you know? So you have, you have, your reader has to believe what you're telling them and has to know, but also you can't lose the reader's trust by just making stuff up to fill a plot hole. I mean, in the, yeah. in the new book that I'm working on, Harpo Marx in real life really did go to Moscow in 1933 and 1934 and come back with spy stuff for America. Nobody talks about Harpo Marx doing that, but he did. And that's in the new book that I'm working on. But again, if I put that in there without kind of anchoring things down, people are going to say, why are you making this stuff up about the ni that nice Harpo Marx fellow, right? Yeah, that's, you can't that's what I'm so bumping. Yep, yeah, that's what I'm bumping up against more than anything. And I think it's going to be it's going to be fine, but it is wanting to let people know there's a reason for the decision that I've made here. Yeah. In this case, you know, I think without this particular woman, we may never have had a Bible and that Cyrus the Great couldn't have conquered Babylon. Oh, yeah. Without I heard you talking about her on this podcast a year ago. Yeah, well, like, oh, only a that, year? But... Only what? a year ago? <laughs> She's been I working on this since 1914. She sounded like a, a, a tough person. It really, I don't know, I don't know, it really I, I don't know if this is PG rated or stuff, but I was going to say something. She's kind of my wild She sounded great. I passed a little library the other day, and there was a book in there that says, you can't make this stuff up. And I thought, is that... <laughs> adjust the the call for a fiction writer to say just you wait yeah <laughs> right, right. challenge accepted challenge accepted <laughs> exactly exactly I but you, know, you won <laughs> but i think a lot of stuff that does happen in real life um we don't buy mm -hmm. yeah. and uh I, and so, I find that so interesting about harpo marx so i yeah. think that you know you do need an <laughs> author's note for this future book which says yeah. i made up a ton of stuff but the Harpo I mean, Marx stuff. It is a nice place to be able to say, well, you know, this really happened and here. Or you can do the, the David Foster Wallace thing where the footnotes take over the telling of the story. You know? <laughs> they so just become the book. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, this, the majority this, is the footnote. Uh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. This is this has been sort of the dilemma with this. The the thing that has stopped me, you you talk about like not being good enough to have written, which is a very um humbling way of describing your work, which I'm sure is far superior to that. But anyway, I think about how I how poorly I have tracked every so I have footnotes in early versions that helped me keep track of a bunch of stuff. 
And, um, but it's all, but it's not exhaustive. So there were many times when I needed to keep, because my imagination was going in such a rich way, I needed to keep that going. I couldn't stop and put sure. a note in or look up a source or whatever, where it was coming from. And um, so it's not, it's, it's not a scholarly <laughs> footnoting by any means. And I thought, yeah. I can't, I don't think I can take the time to try to do all of that now. Yeah. Well, it's going to be difficult when you've written books, books that are scholarly to then move to the straight fiction thing where you have to kind of leave it out on the wayside. That's, I can't there imagine. Is a that little, would be difficult. There is a little bit of that plagiarism thing going on. So whenever I actually mm. have a quote, I've decided I am including at the very end of the book. Not, mm. It's not a footnote per se, but noting this is actually a quote from this particular document that... Sure. Yeah. is out there you can look at and especially when it's been translated or otherwise provided by a contemporary colleague or peer i feel right. like i want i want them to get credit for having yeah. provided that information i think the reader appreciates the honesty of saying hey look I, here's where i got this stuff from yeah, you know, yeah. And, and an author's note that that takes care of that unfortunately yeah, I hope, steve, I hope steve's so. gonna be buying books from the persian empire if he reads that book and he gets really that's right, yeah. i don't know if my ebay much, bill will be yeah, huge it's gonna be huge because i don't think you can just get those in paperback um you yeah. know maybe papyrus, <laughs> papyrus. <laughs> um but uh, we wanted to also ask you sort of about your experience so i know you've published with in some different ways but uh, working with an Amazon publisher has what have what have been the the pros and the cons for you so far? Yeah. Oh, as so far it's all been pros. Um, a uh, P R O S and I guess also P R O S E yeah. I suppose. But it, it has all been super positive. Um, they I've been really impressed with the number of people who have been really amazingly engaged. You know, you hear about some. Uh, you know, a company that's got whatever, 12 bazillion people working and this and you know, it's over, it can be overwhelming, but the people have, have been super nice. The book's much better now than it was, you know, when I handed it to them to begin with. Um, and just the, the Amazon reads thing for January has put the book out to so many people that I would not have been able to reach, um, you know, in, uh, you know, the quote unquote normal publishing sort of thing, because it just, it just ends up right in people's faces and you can't beat that. That's yeah. awesome. So how did you land there? Um, I have a really good agent. Yay. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we talked to, um, uh, you know, we talked to a lot of people to the ground and uh, Amazon publishing was really the most engaged you know obviously you know really looked like the people who you know you know when you when you have when you fit you know and you're like okay and you hear what people think about the thing and it's you know you you have to take all kinds of things into account the the publicity the marketing the money the whatever all the sorts of things but it's when the people who really get what you're trying to do and the, you know they may talk to you about your book you know, you're like, that's it. That's, that's the, that's what I was trying to do. And you're like, you know, simpatico and all that. So uh, that was great. But, you know, Amazon publishing, I mean, y'all probably know better than I do. They have a number of imprints. And so I have a lot of friends um, who are on Thomas and Mercer, which is the crime fiction imprint. And so, you know, I would have thought Thomas and Mercer, 
was it Thomas and Mercer? Um, they have an imprint called Little A, which is their uh, literary imprint. And I thought, well, I guess it's going to be Little A because I'm fancy pants now. Not Little A. Uh, and there are a couple others. And, uh, Lake Union uh, is where uh, we ended up, uh, which has been great because they've been very kind of, uh, um, I don't want to say book club fiction, but very, um, uh, you know, big book kind of fiction-y sort of stuff. So that's been nice. So, you know, I don't think... Uh, of what I write, I, I don't write mysteries and, you know, crime fiction. Well, I mean, you know, whenever, whenever people start, you know, the, what's the Kierkegaard to label me is to negate me. Right. I mean, whenever you start kind of putting labels on things, the immediate thing is, well, it's not exactly that, but you know, it, whatever helps <laughs> sell the book I'm in favor of, but I don't think of the, I don't think of my book as uh, uh, crime fiction or historical fiction, or, you know, it was, it was number one in romance fiction uh last week i don't think of it as romance fiction although there's some kissing in it um so uh where would they put it, it in the bookstore never... <laughs> yeah yeah it, i you know uh country hardball ended up in the mystery section of the barnes and nobles uh and there's no mystery in country hardball but that's where crime fiction tends to end up Myst- yeah. mysteries and thrillers you know it wasn't a thriller it wasn't so I, I again i don't know it's uh when you go into a store, you know, you go to certain sections and I've certainly read as many, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, mystery, whatever as, as anybody. And I just, I just want a good book. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter what genre, the, the genre I want is good book. So, um, <laughs> so you, was, would be in very, the, you would be yeah. in the good book section as well. <laughs> Not the good book. You know, that's oh, Christian's oh, that's work. Christian over there. Yeah. Christian just, writes about the just good book. Good, I just, just write good about, books. You know, good I just books. write, oh, good book. Good books. The good book table. I don't know. <laughs> good books. Yeah. Well, I'm so pleased. Well, and do you have some, um, events coming up? I know you're going to be at the festival of the book. Yeah, we'll be, I'll be at, um, uh, I'm going down to, you know, Eric Pruitt, going down to, uh, uh, he's on Thomas A. Mercer. He and his wife own a bar down in uh, North Carolina, so I'll be going down there for a thing in February. I've got a thing the first weekend of February in uh, uh, Virginia, kind of a sit-down thing. And then um, Virginia Festival, the book in March. Uh, April is Left Coast Crime over in Seattle. Um, home of Amazon Publishing. Um, I'll hopefully I'll be able to talk them out of a free cup of Seattle's best coffee. And then I guess August is VoucherCon, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. This, I thought uh, VoucherCon you, you, you used have... to be in October. Did they move it? August this year, I think, uh, in Nashville. Because ah, who doesn't want to be in Nashville in August? Well, didn't they do it in New Orleans one year in the, uh, in the heat of the summer? Woo! <sighs> <sighs> Speaking as a Louisiana boy, I can tell you, you don't want to be in New Orleans in the summer if you don't. All the people that are from New Orleans aren't there. <laughs> no, right. That's right. <laughs> they rent their houses out like like it's Mardi Gras. No, no, you guys, you guys come on down here. Uh, you know, it's sweat. Yeah, exactly. Have, have your hurricanes on on Urban Street. Enjoy that while while we're somewhere else in Minnesota. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. so excited, February first. February first in April. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that is. But people up. can get it now. Um, yeah, on yeah. If, you, if well. you're yeah, on Amazon, if you're a if you're a Prime Amazon person, you get a, a book or two for free each month that they select. 
So that's in the Amazon First Reads program. So yeah, but February 1st, everybody will be able to get it in paper. Yay. Audio. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's so exciting. And thanks for coming to talk to us. And um, Absolutely. Well, thanks. I'm glad I've, you know, talked to you, Meredith, a thousand times, but it's nice to meet Kristen because uh, I was in, uh, I guess it was Barnes and Noble and seeing that the most, most peculiar book. And I said, this is a great one. I sat down there and I read page after page (laughs) and said, I got to have this. And it's like, oh my gosh, that. That person's a professor at VCU. I gotta you know, <laughs> check that stuff out because I'm using you know the the follow up to the to the county line has a lot to do with uh, the Tower of Babel oh, and really? uh, the Book of Well, I find I'm I'm big into community, so yeah. I find the Tower of Babel where God says, "Hey, wait a minute, these folks are getting to working together a little yeah, too this well." Yeah, working go, together thing got us. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, yeah, so, so I, I, the yeah. Tower of Babel is one of my favorite Bible stories just because of how, you know, interesting it is in terms of community. So well, you, know, you wrote a lot you, about that in your book, and it was fabulous. The historical fiction that I'm writing right now is set at the point, that one of the books anyway, is set at the point wherein that story was probably composed. During Show the your face. Nebuchadnezzar's awesome. Babel. Yeah. That is great. All these different people from around the world whom he yeah. had conquered and brought to yeah. Babylon. Yeah, and he was obsessed about building. He just built like a maniac, and he yeah. So the tower was there. Kept building it and rebuilding this tower. Same thing to the to Marduk, the high god of Babylon, and it looked like it reached to the heavens. The top tier was all done in lapis lazuli, which is blue stone to look like the sky. So it was to look like it was in the heavens. So anyway, that story, yeah, likely began if you will however you know the the sort of organic evolution of these stories at that point with my protagonist Amidas um about one of the foreign people who was a burr in the side of some of the traditionalist (laughs) Babylonians (laughs) anyway Tower of Babel don't get me started (laughs) exactly exactly yeah so I love that the whole community piece gosh intriguing Steve cool Awesome. Well, we That's cannot wonderful. wait to see you at the Festival of the Book. I mean, I know that yes. I live in this area. I don't run into you all the time. I don't know why, um, but <laughs> I know we need to find ourselves a Algonquin Roundtable in Charlotte. Now you're talking, yeah. right? Like I don't know. Let's put our heads together. Where and when? Make it a regular landing place. As long as it's you after January, because we're doing dry January. <laughs> I know, but that's, we'll we'll start celebrating February first. With we're not all doing lunch. dry January, Meredith. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, I just meant that if we're going to organize this thing, we should at least be able to have a glass of something. <laughs> I am go down with that. Yes, I'm doing the dry January thing too. So February. Oh. Yeah. We your launch date is a oh, big. Oh, there you go, celebration. That's right. Your launch date, Steve. We'll be raising a glass. Weddell's, Weddell's book and a bottle of Boone's Farm. That's Sounds right. great. <laughs> yes. Oh, let's up our game. Exactly. Oh. All right. Well, thank you. And sure, thank y'all. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Awesome. Likewise. Well, it was so fun to catch up with Steve, and hear a little more about his writing journey. There's lots of stuff I didn't know, even though I've known him for years. I'm so glad that you suggested reaching out to him and that he was able to do it. Yeah, it yeah. was fun to meet him. And I'm just excited about this new book he's got out. And it sounds like another historical fiction in the works. And um, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really good stuff. Super, and just a fun guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. super fun. And um, and such a 
huge reader. He has a he he does a thing on uh, Instagram where he he shows the the first page of a book he's reading, and he just reads so widely. Really appreciates books, which really shows in his work. So yeah, that's really fun. It's that's fun. great. And as I said, when I until I read his Wikipedia bio, I didn't know that he had MFA in poetry, which is just so interesting. Yeah, and that he really identifies the ways in which that has informed his writing. Absolutely. Um, through. Yeah. I, I liked hearing that a lot. It makes It makes a kind of sense, but um, I can also imagine how people might feel like, oh, you know, I, well, anyway, might yeah. be, be dismissive of that. But to see really the ways in which it has fed his writing is right. really beautiful. There's a yeah. ton of um, former newspaper reporters that write crime fiction. And um, so I've met a bunch of them. And what is funny is a lot of them talk about how there is no such thing as writer's block. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> because They're like, yeah, I have to have this done by Thursday. <laughs> you sit down and you write. And just hearing Steve say, like, he gets a call from Playboy and he's like, sure. And he has the I've short story it. done by Friday. <laughs> I've got it here. <laughs> Um, there's a huge benefit, though, if you are mentally, that story's already something you're thinking about or something. I, you know, it wasn't completely probably a, from, completely from scratch, but I don't know. I could never do that. I've gotten requests from um, anthologies before, and one I just said, it's going to take me so long to write this short story that by that time, <laughs> you know, the anthology will be gone and done. So... <laughs> Move on without me. <laughs> oh. It's good to know your limits. Yes. Well, it's great to see you. And um, looking forward to talking in February. I think we might have a exciting guest. Yes, yes. We'll be in touch for sure. Oh, absolutely. And we will see you then. Sounds good. All right.